Is it worth the aggravation to find yourself a job when there's nothing worth looking for? Welcome to Remember the First Time, ladies and gentlemen. We're here, episode five, with Charlotte Pearson. Hi. Paul Force. Hey. And myself, Mark Rawson. This month we are looking at Oasis' debut album. Definitely. Maybe. Oh, we certainly are. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, we were released 29th of August, 1994. How old were you, Charlotte? Still three. Three. No. Not much changes around these parts. No. It was nine. And I was ten. Three, nine and ten. Do you remember the release? Nope. No. Neither do I. <laughs> no. no. Still not bothered about music. Anyway, three three boys that were thinking about music were Bonehead, Gigsy and Macau. They were formed Rain, later joined by Liam Gallagher on vocals. Uh, they initially formed the Oasis sound, um, but it wasn't until later in their music career that Noel Gallagher joined the band. Uh, so they'd only take part if he could take sole leadership of the writing duties. band changed its name to Oasis. And the rest, they say, is history. Oasis' sound on record is a live sound with attitude. And uh, I think they've, they've, ga- they've gained a lot of that through playing live. You were mentioning earlier um, about the production on, 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 the, on the album, weren't you, Charlotte, about the vocals? Yeah, the vocals are really difficult to understand. I think that's mainly because... A, Liam Gallagher's voice is quite distinct, shall we put it that way? Um, and also the fact that the guitars are like turned up to 11 pretty much, so it is giving that live sound, but when you just listen to the album, it kind of means that you can't necessarily hear what they're saying, which mm-hmm. some people might not care about, but I kind of do care about that. Call me a nerd. But. I know I've, we've got to talk a little bit later on in the running order, but there's... Uh... Owen Morris's brick walling is a, a technique he came up with in mm. production, and essentially the album had been failed at being recorded a couple of times. It finally went to Owen Morris to produce it um, alongside Noel and the band, and he came up with a style on that album called brick walling it. And essentially, that production value is to turn everything up full so that it's redlining the whole time, basically. <laughs> and so it's as loud as possible. And I think that's exactly what you just put, highlighted there, Charlotte. Yeah. And I, it's I, so true. I do think it does It does give that live experience on, on the record. I think Noel is quoted as saying that he wanted the album to sound like a jet plane taking off. And there is that fuel, there is that noise behind it, and there's that energy and that attack. There's, there's so much attack on the vocal, and that's yeah. just Liam... That's just Liam like growling and attacking and fighting with the with the microphone. But, but he's but he's got such a good voice though. I think I'm not saying he's a classical singer or anything like that. For what he's wanting to do, he hits every note he wants to hit. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, but <laughs> he's not struggling to get there. It's quite well known that when he's recording, he's going in there and he's doing it in one take because he's hitting every note. He's not hitting any flat notes or anything. As he, he's singing. I, he might not be to your taste. I can see him by your face. <laughs> And no, no, never mind if it is to your taste or not, but if he's hitting that note and he's doing the job, then... I think what you could argue, and I'm trying to be diplomatic here because I'm not a massive fan of his delivery, mm. but what I do like about his delivery is there is an aggression to it, there is a uh, charisma to it, and he chews the words and he spits them out yeah. 
and he makes the syllables work for him. Mm. He decides what the word is. Yeah. <laughs> he decides what the sound is going to be, and in a way, that's what I mean. It is. It's performance. It's it's absolute performance, and that's him evoking all sorts of different. I mean, it's just thinking. You know, just thinking back to like Elvis and the way that he would use his vocal delivery to create a better experience, the intonation, the drawl, all that sort of thing. It's the same thing. Mm. It's, it's just, any performer uses the words, not just as what they literally are, but expressing them in a particular way. Yeah, there's a brilliant uh, quote from Nolan in an interview with him where he's talking, it's on the definitely maybe 10th anniversary DVD that I watched again recently. I've not watched it for a long time. Probably about 15 years. Um, but he... Um, He's on about that sunshine and Liam speaking like that and why he does it. Basically, what happened was they were recording a live session for some radio show and he does that sunshine and he's singing it live just once. Mm. And afterwards, they listen back to it on the radio and apparently Liam Gallagher's like, oh my God, what have I done? Why did I sing it like that? <laughs> I sound like the right idiot. Apparently, Alan McGee, Obviously, head of creation records, signed the band, rings him up to, what was that sunshine about? And they were like, oh, I don't know. And it's brilliant, keep it. <laughs> <laughs> and from then on, it ha- it came to everything he did. Oh, it becomes a signature, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's that little idiosyncrasy that makes it identifiable and makes it unique. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's performance. Yeah. Yeah. Liam Gallagher might not be to everyone's taste. He's certainly my second favourite Gallagher at singing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Same, but, but you know who he is when yeah. he's singing. And, he and saying down. that, Songbird, obviously a mm. much later Oasis singer, mm. Songbird is a beautiful song and he sings it really well. It's just, yeah, for me, he's not a fantastic singer, but he is a fantastic performer. Oh, There's no doubt mate. about that. Yeah. But speaking about sort of performing, Charlotte, you are a woman who's much younger than a lot of the original fans that grew up and discovered Oasis, does it, does Oasis speak to you? I'm going to say no, (laughs) as diplomatically as I can there. Um, Oasis for me are possibly one of my least favourite bands. Um, (laughs) Good job you're not doing a podcast about them. I know. (laughs) Hey, we need different views on it, we're not just one one way. (laughs) Yeah, um... Oasis just don't really do anything for me, if I'm being totally honest. It's I know a lot of people will be like, oh my God, as if you could say these things about Oasis, but it's one of those things where when they come on the radio, I swiftly turn the radio to a different station. It's just nothing that I kind of connect with. It's just never been what I want to listen to. And why so, do you think you don't connect? I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm not saying you're no. right. You are entitled to your opinion, but what is it you think that What's the rather than what's why don't you connect with it? What's the disconnect? I think it's just music that I just don't find that interesting or like challenging enough. Mm-hmm. And that may, probably makes me sound like I'm being a little bit harsh to Oasis that they write easy music, but I don't know. It's just never really grabbed my attention. It's never really made me sit up and think about it. It's just kind of like background filler, maybe because. When I was growing up, it was on the radio so much, so it was just literally background filler. And to me, it just reminds me of like being five years old, playing with my toys, and Oasis is on the radio. Like it's that sort of thing. It's nothing that makes me sit up and think, "Wow, yeah. this is, I need to listen to this." Sort and of thing. 
On the counter argument, I'm kind of steering this right now, but I'm doing it for a purpose. Like, so not really your cup of tea yet for you, Mark. Oasis are well, sort of a real trigger point in your musical background. Uh, your well, they're, they're a trigger point because they were the first band I got into. Mm. I don't think they're the, and that's why I cast them as such an important part in my musical taste because that changed things for me when I first. Well, not on this album. Didn't care less, like we said, um, like we said before about music at this point in my life. But a year later, when What's the Story Morning Glory came out, that's when I started to pay attention to music, and that's for me why Oasis will always play a special part in my musical taste, and that's why I'll always like them because they help form it. Um, but I don't disagree with what Charlotte says. They're not not world beating songs in terms of overcomplicated. There's nothing that's so unique about them. Noel openly rips songs off. He openly admits it and has got sued for it many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't profess to be the world's greatest like at anything. He doesn't profess that it's anything new. But that's what I love about it. Why does it have to be? Why does it have to be something absolutely unique? If you're just doing something that people like and something enjoy, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in life. Yeah. And if you bring in pleasure to people and it's, you're enjoying it, and you're doing it, and it's just, yeah, creating this movement, then crack on, I say. <laughs> I'm glad they did. <laughs> but this actually leads very nicely into something that I'm not that big a fan of. So it's almost seen as this album is the start of lad culture. Mm. And that sort of, because it was like the first accessible band of that era it probably wasn't the first accessible band but became the big accessible band of the era there's a real sort of light culture movement around th- that time and it, it started growing into a whole monster itself and that is something that I'm not a fan of this light culture I think uh, touching on that and maybe moving stra- uh, sort of extrapolating from that and also what you said Charlotte about the production is so loud that sometimes the lyrics get lost. A lot of the lyrics are quite point. Uh, there are there are a lot of lyrics out there that are quite psychedelic on this album, but mm. there are a lot of lyrics that are actually quite political. And uh, I mean, you know, it's there's a lot of escapism in there. Mm. There's so much reference oh, to flying away, getting up high, and all this. But on on some of the albums, there's a real pointed politicism to it, and it's it's. It's hard not to look at the lyrics and be aware of them. Um, you know, there's, there's up in the sky. Yeah, and bring it on down. It's it, bring it on down is all about when you're stuck in a, uh, an insecure situation, which the Gallagher's were, which most of the band were. I mean, Noel says all these songs that have a political undercurrent are real because I was just writing them from the heart. I don't sit down and think politics, let's get to the bone of that shit. But at the point I was unemployed, in rented accommodation, trying to make it in the world, living from one week to the next, not knowing if you're gonna have enough money for a pizza. And that's just on bringing it on down. And a lot of them relate back to the politics of the working class situation and the working class experience. You say a lot of it's about escapism, it is. Yeah. First track, rock and roll star. Oh, I know. I live my life in the city, there's no easy way out. He's just saying, he, he wants to get out of the life that he lives. He wants to be a fucking rock and roll star. There is nothing more escapism mm. about that. 
Uh, there couldn't be anything more escapism about that, and that's what he set out to do, and that's what he did. Yeah, they're not—they're not ashamed of their background. No, I mean, not at all. The, I mean, the opening line on Supersonic is "I need to be myself. I can't be no one else." Mm. They're mm. not trying to escape their situation by reinventing themselves. And I think mm. sometimes I think Charlotte, you had read that there was some criticism about Pulp for having done that. They were working class but tried to reinvent themselves, didn't you? Yeah, the their lyrics were a little bit. I don't know, more middle class, a bit on the same level as Blur, but I think there's a massive difference between Pulp and Blur because if you're just going to say that being university educated, which I think is where they're going with the Pulp thing, means that you're middle class, then fair enough, Pulp are middle class, but Pulp are from a working class background. There's a massive difference between where Blur were from, which was a middle class Mm. start and was always going to be a middle class thing, from, and Pulp growing up in Sheffield in the working classes and then going to university and educating themselves. And that's obviously going to shine through in the lyrics that they write. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's probably one of the most escapist albums of the modern era, or at least of the Britpop era. I don't think there's any more that are out to celebrate. In fact, I wouldn't even say celebrate. To accept and to just document the working class only, I suppose. You know, you are stuck in this situation. But again, they're not pouring scorn on themselves and they're not trying to be a martyr. They're saying, if you want to get out of this situation, you've got to get yourself out of this situation. No one else is going yeah. to do it for you. There's a great Noel Gallagher quote that I've got here that I was thinking about having this end in there, but I've just changed my mind. Uh, and he says, the first line of that song, he's talking about rock and roll stars. So the first line of that song is what my life plan was. I can't wait to get out of this shit hole and make some fucking money. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> he's, not, he's proud of where he's come from, but he knows he can do something bigger and better. Yeah. And he's going to do that and nothing's going to stop him. Talking about how, how Oasis found their sound. I think there was more pressure on them than I think maybe... They let on because weren't Creation Records quite nervous before the release yes. of the album? Yes, so it had gone, it had been recorded twice before the actual recording of the one that was released, and it just because they were getting such following live and people were loving them, when they did the other recordings of the album, they'd play it back and they'd be like, Oh, this is really good, but it's not quite there. It doesn't sell Oasis. Mm. It sells a nice recorded on Oasis. It's not Oasis. And I think Creation, Creation were getting nervous at the time because they knew that it wasn't right, but they'd already thrown a bucket load of money at it and they just hadn't got it right. But um, <clears throat> there's another quote somewhere, and I'll, I'll have to paraphrase it, but Noel Gallagher's saying basically, fair play to uh, Alan McGee because... He could have pulled the plug and said, nah, that's good enough, we're releasing it. Mm. But he knew it wasn't right, it wasn't the right record for Oasis to release. So it was like, he had to bankroll recording it for a third time. That's when they went down to, uh, oh, where was it? They were in Wales. Wales, yeah. Um, And uh, that's when Owen Morris Morris, um, took hold of Mm. it. And uh, he co-produced it with the band. I presume it was just Noel and him <laughs> yeah. using it. Um, and yeah, that's when uh, the actual how the actual record came about that third time. But there's um, I mentioned before about Owen Morris and Brick Wall in it, and he he said it's like it's great because at the time when ever anyone anyone played because of this like max sound, whenever anyone played Oasis on a jukebox across the country. 
they were literally playing the loudest music that w- could be played from a jukebox and it would just play louder than any other music in the pub or bar or whatever oh. and so it would stand out and people would be like what is this So what um, what does the what does the uh, album mean now? Do we think it's aged well? Uh, it's a very nineties sound for me, and I feel like it's very much of that time. And the world's moved on. Let's face it; like, fair enough, lad culture's still around now, and Oasis still seem to be very synonymous with lad culture. But we're in a post Me Too world, so mm. it's kind of difficult to you know, call out that sort of behaviour and in the way that you might not have in the 90s. And I don't know, it's kind it is difficult because whenever you think of Oasis, you do think of lad culture. And maybe that's kind of a bad thing for the band because you kind of have this cliche in your head of what an Oasis fan looks like and how they act. And maybe that is a bad thing that you think that they're going to act in a certain way or you know they speak in a certain way or they're from a certain background and I don't know I just think that kind of maybe taints the way that some people probably think of Oasis now I would agree I think I mean I well you look at the lyrics and they're not really that I don't think they're that misogynistic at all I don't think there's any real kind of vitriol or, or hatred towards women or to any kind of no, uh, any no, kind of BAME. No, group. I don't. I think. I think what Charlotte's saying is, yeah, it's, it's like clubs, but I don't think Oasis meant no. to create that. It's, it's, it's just yeah. they had accessible yeah. music, yeah. and so that culture it. got behind it and yeah. took the music. Rather yeah, than yeah. It, it, it's, it's by association, unfortunately. Unfortunate yeah. for yeah. Oasis, I think. In terms of the album, I do agree. I don't think it's the most complex thing. Like you said, Mark, it's not the most complex musically. I do think it's very good at speaking to people at base level. It's there's a lot of uh, kind of a folk feel to the way that you know you, the, the choruses have got these massive hooks that people can sing along to. It makes it an experience. It makes it uh, a kind of we are legion thing where everyone's everyone's just singing along with it. I mean, you just have to look at some of the crap that's happened in Manchester with the bombing where all the people started singing Don't Look Back in Anger to look at the impact and the power that, that their songwriting can have. And Noel's songwriting, like Noel's lyrics have. I, I, I didn't know that he was uh, dyslexic, I don't know if you did, but I think the fact that he had to continuously go back to his lyrics and look at them and think about what he was saying probably helped him perfect what he was wanting to say and made him think about the lyrics. But at the same time, there's this idea that Noel can write a hit song in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So he's just one of these people that, you know, give him 10 minutes, he'll write a song, it'll more than likely do well, and it can quite easily have the massive hooks in. But as an has album, it aged well? Has it aged well? No. But how many albums do age well? I disagree, because I think it has aged quite well, because it's not something I listen to now and think, oh my God, that sounds so dated. But then maybe that's it's because I'm such a fan. Mm. Because I listen, and I still get excited listening to that album. Because I've listened to it for many, many years yeah. now, and still I've listened to it a hell of a lot. Getting ready for this podcast tonight, 
because I was like, good excuse to play definitely maybe loads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to... Can I shock you? <laughs> to quote Alan Partridge. I think what's the story's aged better. Yeah. I mean, it's got more coke in it, but <laughs> then again, I just think it, I think it's aged better. I think the songs are a little bit more timeless. But I just think that maybe with the added confidence, they have the confidence and the arrogance to make the debut album, but then they have the added confidence of, no, okay, we made a debut album. It was bloody good and everyone loved it. Let's go make more of these. I think that made them freer to try a bit more stuff. And for each album, you see them sort of experiment and expand the sound a bit more. And I think they were just a bit, everything everything in the kitchen sink. Let's get it all on there, which I think doesn't help. I mean, personally, a lot of the songs are a bit too long for me on the album. Like, so many of them go beyond four minutes. And I don't necessarily think that they need to, but for me, I think it's them going... We're going to show you exactly what we can do. We're not putting, we're not leaving anything. We're putting it all there. You're going to see everything, and that's why I think, as a debut, it's a great debut. But I don't necessarily think it's it's aged perfectly. It's really interesting that you say that. Apparently, these failed recordings. So if you listen to, there's many available. And this is the 20th anniversary. Definitely, maybe a lot can go out on that on the YouTube. Apparently, that was the issue with the first couple of recordings. They tried to put too much in there. Mm. <laughs> and it was OMI stripping it back, but just making everything so loud. They said when he got hold of it, when he was mixing, doing the mixing, he didn't have Noel in the room, he didn't have Bonehead in the room, he didn't have him like, arguing, saying, no, this ego wants to be heard louder. It was just him going, well, I'll do what I want with this. Mm. No one else listens. So it's just interesting hearing you say it's them putting the kitchen sink on the table and mm. going listen to everything we've got and it's actually like stripping it back a little bit which is quite crazy when you think that they've actually took away from it mm. <laughs> I mean you just think how much were they bringing mm. yeah but there's there's tracks on there that I don't think they could be released now but it doesn't mean they haven't aged well in my opinion but perhaps that's just me as a big fan of the album thinking that mm. But I, there's certain tracks on there that every time they come on, Live Forever being one of them, Rock and Roll Star being another, mm. Cigarettes and Alcohol, I just, every time I hear them, I do get excited, and I'm like, I love those tracks, and for me, they're timeless. Yeah, and I think maybe it's just mm. a simple fact that, for you, that's the album, and you know, you say as well that What's the Story is the album that really got you into Oasis. That was the album for me that, as a teenager, I listened to most out of all mm. the Oasis stuff. So that's probably the one where I, where I, again, just through familiarity with it, I think it's aged better. Maybe through an unbiased eye, I'd have a different opinion. So I think we've kind of covered how we feel about the album in that. What's our favourite tracks on the album? Charlotte, I'm most interested to hear yours, <laughs> if you have one. Okay, so there's only really two that I sort of liked. Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 well, listener, I'm loving how painful this looks to Charlotte. So the first one's probably Live Forever, which I thought was, you know, is is good. I do like it. That's me trying to find positives. I don't even know what to say because I feel like I'm constantly being bad to Oasis and people are going to hate me for it, but I can't help it. Um, And the one that I did like the most was probably Cigarettes and Alcohol. Great choices. Um, now, I like Cigarettes and Alcohol as well. I like how glam it is. It's really Bowie. It's really T-Rex. Yeah. It's that's yeah, I like that. And maybe it's because I can find that 
connection. I can see the linkage. I can see what their influences are. I really like it when I can hear the influences. Mm. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, obviously the influences of the Beatles and the Who and the Smiths, etc. T-Rex. Yeah. Yeah. T-Rex is a massive influence on cigarettes and alcohol. I really like Slideaway. I think there's a kind Love of... Love Slideaway. I think there's a kind of innocence and a, it's a bit of a... It's like finding a little crack in the armour and having a look inside and seeing the heartbeat. I like it. Mm. There's, a, there's a nice little bit of intimacy there that I quite enjoy. So you say cigarettes and alcohol? Cigarettes and alcohol or slide away. They're my two favourite equally, but probably cigarettes and alcohol simply because it gets the bigger reaction. Yeah, I I do love it as a trap. Mine are Live Forever and Cigarettes and Alcohol. I've got a feeling I know what might be going on the playlist. Yeah. Well, they're just, they're just like I said before. They're just for me the times. I love rock and roll style for it. It's such a good opening track to an album. I love it so much. But cigarettes and alcohol. One thing I love so much about cigarettes and alcohol is obviously you're talking. It's early to mid nineties when it's written. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there's no jobs, no money. Can't remember that. Um, yeah, <laughs> for it in later years. Um, but myself, but. The lyric in it, is it worth the aggravation to find yourself a job when there's nothing worth working for? It's exactly. It's such yeah. a good statement on, it really is. on uh, the life that they are leading. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, for me, Cigarettes and Alcohol, Live Forever, I think Live Forever just tops it for me because I just love how positive it is. It's it's escaping from the real yeah. world. We spoke about that before. You and I are going to live forever. I just, it's... It's just great. I love the solo in it. I just, yeah, I love the video. Even though it's like the most ridiculous video, it's just nothing really happens apart from they bury the drummer. Uh, <laughs> Which everyone's like, oh my God, it's such a metaphor. Like, yeah. Oh. yeah, it's, it's like confirmation bias, that, mate. Okay, fantastic. That is definitely maybe part one. Coming up next, we've got an interview with JC of the Oasis podcast. I spoke to JC earlier in the month. Uh, to get his views on Definitely Maybe. things that I hear a lot when I've been looking around things around Definitely Maybe is in a lot of Noel Gallagher interviews he references Definitely Maybe and saying people always come up to him saying oh, or always used to come up to him should I say, when he was still part of Oasis saying when they had a new album coming out saying oh, is it going to be as good as Definitely Maybe? For you Definitely Maybe obviously is a debut album, has it been bettered by the band? That's very interesting. I, I mean, something um, I find it very hard to rank things. I, I do really enjoy ranking things, and a few of the, the podcast episodes I've done have been like ranking things. Um, but it's very hard, you know. How do you rank a definitely maybe album, which is which is pretty much uh, obviously you've got its its sort of other moments, but like Slide Away and Married with Children um, are a little bit different. But other than that, it's pretty much an out and out rock and roll album. Um, but with you know, and the, it, there's not much instrumentation other than just the the members playing. It's pretty much that's all it is, um, and it's brilliant, you know, and it's absolutely incredible for that. Whereas then you get into like Morning Glory, where you've got like 
cast no shadow and you've got champagne supernova and you've got don't back in anger and there's strings and there's there's more complex arrangements happening and and it's then it's a different band almost you know and then you go to be here now which is a different band again so in terms of what is I mean, I did it the other day. I, I ranked all of my um, I've ranked every Oasis song. I've given it a score out of 10. And what I did is I actually went to the individual albums and said, OK, well, if I average out the album, what scored the highest and the highest scoring was what's story morning glory for me. Uh, I just think that the level of songs on that album is higher generally than the level of songs on definitely maybe. However, that said, like, you know, it's very close and you know, and if you're not doing it like mathematically like that, if you're just saying like, what is a great album to just chuck on, then I probably chuck on morning, uh, definitely maybe more as it's just like a great, if you're going for a, a drive and you're going to be 45 minutes, it's a brilliant way to spend 45 minutes is listening to that album. So it's a tough one. Okay, so you've mentioned a couple of times um, Renal uh, stealing bits from the telly, etc. There's clear instances of that on the album. Things like Shake and Maker, where they've actually been sued, uh, the band's been sued by um, other record labels, etc., for um, stealing um, their songs. Do you think that's. Do you think Noel actually cared about that, or do you think he was just like, I don't care, I'm taking it? It's, it's, he was just quite blase about it, really. Yeah, I think he, he kind of almost wore it as a badge of honour. You know, he was like, everyone steals, you know, every every even the Beatles, you know, who are supposed to be the most, um, you know, innovative band in the world. They stole, you know, wholesale from a lot of people like Ray Charles and people like that. So, you know, everyone steals. Um, well, what was it? Every, uh, you know, talent borrows, genius steals. Right. And so Noel was just really overt. So, you know, and there's a there's a great sort of early Oasis gig review where they say, uh, there's the one that sounds like freedom by wham there's the one that sounds like i like to teach the world to sing there's the one that sounds like get it on by t-rex and it really is like oh yeah it's pretty obvious and full-on but he just didn't really care and and also you know you can lift a passage as long as it's then you've mixed it around or you've changed it around and it's it's then created something new then i've i've got no issue with it and i just think it's it's funny really um the one thing that i i do um you know if he's nicking you know get it on by t-rex or i'd like to teach what's saying that's fine the one thing that i do take umbrage with noel um was his treatment of the real people um chris and tony griffiths the brothers who are in that that liverpool based band they really helped bring definitely maybe together. They helped uh, Noel's songwriting. Um, right. They did to the some point... of the early demos, didn't they, as well? Exactly, yeah. So they, they, the first demos for the album was recorded at the Real People Studios. And, uh, you know, they are credited on some things. But, you know, basically Columbia was a, a song written kind of on the go with Chris, with, uh, with Chris Griffiths, the you know main guy from the Real People, and Liam coming up with the lyrics. And it was only then... Noel kind of pinched it, really. So this was a rewrite, primarily Chris and Liam, but it's credited to Noel Gallagher. And Noel, <laughs> Noel, it's, it's, he's an interesting chap in that, you know, and this comes up again and again throughout when you, when you look at Oasis history, he will happily take credit for things that weren't necessarily his. And he will, you know, and he's kind of, there's been various legal challenges that you think, oh, come on, Noel, like there was, there was no need for that. You could have thrown the bone there. That was very fair. And he won't. You know, and, and I think that that sort of says, 
you know, it's quite interesting. What I don't know whether that's his upbringing or whatever, but certain things, especially the real people, you listen to something like, as a song called "Feel the Pain," that is so close to "Don't Go Away." It's ridiculous. Really, as, you know, I need to check. Yeah, it out. Oh, you know, mate, it's it's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, there's certain songs that are just. I mean, "Rocking Chair." He ripped it off so much that he had to concede that one. You know, so Rocking Chair is officially credited to Griffiths and Gallagher. But, you know, it, he did try and get away with it. So, you know, that's no for you. So the big bands and just the using other melodies is fine. But when he's actually kind of, you know, usurping something that someone's helped him to create and trying not to give him the credit, that's where you think, come on, Noel, play fair. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Looking at other demos from around the time of release, or songs that didn't quite make it onto the album, B-sides, etc. Do you think anything was missed from the main album? <laughs> we did a whole episode on this. No, I've <laughs> um, not gone to yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's called Definitely Maybe, Re- Definitely Maybe Reassembled. And we went back and I said, look, if you could change the track listing of Definitely Maybe, and the idea was all songs that were written by the time of the recording are available. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, there's footage of All Around the World um, in 1991. They're practicing it in the boardwalk. So, you know, they had All Around the World then. It's available. They had whatever. You know, they had those other B-sides. So, so yeah, I personally, it's very interesting. And and people listening, if you go back and listen to that episode, it's an interesting one. I did make a bunch of changes initially. I put in stuff like um, Cloudburst and Fade Away, um, which were sort of B-sides from the time. Mm-hmm. And I dropped, um, I think I dropped Shaker Maker. I think I dropped Columbia um, for a couple of the more rocky songs. And my um, my thinking is, you know, you start off with Rock and Roll Star and the album just slows down with Shaker Maker. And really, if you go into something like Fade Away after that, uh, which is the B-side that sounds a bit like Freedom by Wham, um, it's just got such a punky edge and it just keeps that sort of punky side going rather than sort of the more slow psychedelic side. Mm-hmm. But then there was a really good response to my uh, episode where they came back. and I can't remember the guy's name now, but he came back and said, no, you're wrong. It's not just about the sound. It's about the overall message of the songs. Mm. And the overall message of all these songs tends to be hopeful, you know, and we're going to take on the world and screw you. We're going to do it. Whereas there's a bunch of B-sides around the time that are absolutely brilliant, such as Fade Away. But they're a bit more of the um, contemplative you know, they're a bit more of like, uh, you know, sort of sadder, sort of quieter moment songs. And um, I think that's probably why they weren't included, because they generally wanted the album to be an up, you know, overall feeling of hope and passion and excitement. And if they'd included some of those songs, which I think are better songs, actually, it probably wouldn't have had that. And it would have um, it would have uh, impacted the overall feel of the album. Yeah, I get that. I totally understand that. I mean, one of my favourite tracks is Sad Song um, yeah. from around that time. And one of my favourite performances of that is uh, when Noel does it on Jules Holland. Um, yeah. And he, he looks, <laughs> we always joke that he looks like he's just come from um, his uh, latest court case to uh, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> just rocking up with his skinhead in his suit playing on uh, Jules Holland. But mm. I think that's absolutely right. It's like, it would take away from the overall feel of the album, no matter what, whether it's a great song or not. Um, yeah, it's it's just not right for that movement as such. 
things like Cloudburst are, I think, fantastic. Absolutely love Cloudburst as a song. Yeah, I love Cloudburst. It's it's one of those that I did my, I think I did an episode where I did my top ten, and it sort of dawned on me I hadn't included Cloudburst. I'm like, oh no, what am I gonna? I've got to take, got to find that somewhere. And <laughs> uh, you know, and and especially with. Um, you know, I've done quite a bit with Tony McCarroll, the, the drummer on this album. Mm. Um, so I've done an interview with him, you know, phone, and then which was massive for me, obviously. And then we've done the live event, um, uh, the Water Rats, back in May, and then we've got another one coming up in Glasgow in in November. And you know, and you hear a very defining feature of this first album. As much as Tony McCarroll is um, often maligned for his drumming, how many songs? indefinitely maybe and the the songs around it start with isolated drums it's like five or six you know mm. and those drum beats are so iconic and yeah it probably is because they're relatively simple but they're amazing you know and they just get you going and, and it's such a bold choice to start a song with a drum beat but it happens on cloudburst live forever supersonic it's it's a real it's a real feature of the album what's coming what's happening soon with uh, the oasis podcast where uh, where's it going from here yeah, well, we're just going to keep ploughing on. I mean, people sort of keep saying to me, like, how have you, you know, how long are you plan to do this for? Like, because surely there can't be that much to cover. But there's tons. There's still tons to cover that I've not, you know, there's loads of people that were, uh, you know, still involved with the band that I've been, you know, in touch with and haven't quite got on yet. People like Gem and Andy Bell from the later years. You know, I, I live in hope of maybe getting like Alan White or Gwigs, but, you know, they're very unlikely. Boneheads are... You know, another one I'd love to get, but is, you know, possibly, uh, possibly in the future, but you just don't know. Um, and then obviously Liam Manol would be the, would be the, um, you know, the, the, the peak piece de resistance or whatever. But, but I mean, the big thing at the moment we've been looking at is these live events. So, you know, um, we did this last first one in May, which went really, really well, sold out a couple of hundred people in the water rats with Tony McCarroll. He was really, really pleased with that. Um, and then, so, uh, and meanwhile, you've got, um, a bunch of people who are going around the country doing similar sort of spoken word things. So like Alan McGee's been doing stacks of these around the country and I've been asked to do a few with Alan. So we've got one coming up, uh, in September at the Arlington Arts Centre, which is just outside Newbury, which is just, uh, in, in Berkshire. So yes, yeah, so I'm doing that one. And then we've got another one at the Water Rats. That's with, with McGee again in October. And then in November, I'm going up to Glasgow, which is going to be a crazy night. Um, that's with an Oasis tribute band as well, uh, called Columbia Oasis Tribute Band. Um, and that's with Tony again. And uh, yeah, and um, so I'll look, you know, I'll look to carry on doing those as long as people want to stick, still keep coming to them and they still sell. I'll still do those. Um, but other than that, yeah, we're just being kept busy with all the news as well. You know, we've had Knowles had new music out this year that he's putting out as EPs. Uh, Liam's got his new album coming out very shortly. So... We're just going to keep going, man. I say the Sky Sports News of Oasis. That's it. Fantastic. I look forward to continuing to listening. Thank you very much, James. Very much appreciated you coming on the pod. No problem at all. All the best. Okay, we're looking at Definitely Maybe. This is Remember the First Time podcast. We're going to look at the singles. Were they the correct ones? For info, 
They were Supersonic, Shake and Maker, Live Forever, Cigarettes and Alcohol, Rock and Roll Star. For me, there was too many singles from the album. I always think this when a band has five singles from an album. Now, sometimes it's a bit different with the debut one because you're releasing them before the albums come out. You're wanting to build that movement. You're wanting to gain interest, especially before streaming services were available 25 years ago, etc. But I still think five singles from an album is too much. I think it should be three good, solid singles, fourth at a push. So was it literally Supersonic Debut, then Shake Maker, then Live Forever, then Sigs and Alcohol, then Rock and Roll Star? Yeah? Why on earth release Shake Maker second? <laughs> Why? For me, I would, that would be the one that I would cut from there. Yeah. For me, yeah. certainly. But, yeah, but I think that's because I don't dislike the song. I know you two dislike the song. It's just covered. But that's not for me. It's not the reason to drop it. It's just that, well, because it's just not as good as the other four, personally. Yeah. Mm. Um, also, I don't think it, I think it's more an album track, if I'm honest. The others, they clearly are singles. Yeah. yeah they really stand out, and they stand out on their own. Mm. One of my favourite facts, Supersonic, only recorded once in the studio. Mm-hmm. Costs about 200 quid. That's why Noel says it's one of his favourite Oasis songs, because it's just raw. They went into a studio, there's no fact, no, they've recorded the album three times, etc. Blah, 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 blah. They went in, they recorded it once, and that was the, the take, uh, that was the, what they used on the album, because it, they just hit it right at that time. What? Right, okay, so how was it received? Quite well. Why well, yeah. <laughs> it's done all right. Enemy nine out of ten. Q four and a half out of five. Rolling Stone four and a half out of five. Mojo five out of five. You mentioned that earlier. You were a bit shocked about that, weren't you, Charlotte? Yeah, five out of five. Mm-hmm. But well, no, I get that because Mojo's always had kind of a modish slant to it, and I I totally get why it'd be like Rose. Bloody brilliant, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Ben Sherman shirts go up. <laughs> loved it. I'm giving it 9 out of 10 or 4.5 out of 5. I love it. I think 4.5 out of 5. I'm, at the time, I was. Or 9 saying. out of 10. <laughs> or 4.5. I'm even giving 9.5 out of 10. <laughs> God damn it, crazy now. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think 4.5 out of 5 at that time is the yeah. right thing. I think it was the right counter for uh, the American sound, and it was what those that had been obsessed with Baggy were needing at that time. I think it was zeitgeisty for that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know, do you guys think it would have been as popular, as influential, year, two years prior or post? Uh, I think maybe a year or two earlier it might have been, because they still... I think Oasis stole the crown from Stone Roses. Stone Roses left it too long after their debut album. Mm-hmm. They lost... And everybody moved on to Oasis. They were the yeah. right band coming through at the right time with a sound that was accessible to everybody. Yeah. So I think if they'd done it a year earlier, yeah, they still could have done. Um, it was what everybody was waiting for at that time. It was what everybody needed at that time. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with those reviews. I'm giving it a nine. Yeah. How about you, Charlotte? Do you think if it had been released earlier, later, what do you think? I agree with what Mark was saying. I think they were in the right place at the right time. I feel that maybe had another working class band come along with a similar sort of sound, though, 
I think they would have taken the mantle and Oasis wouldn't have been as big as they are now. That's the only issue, is they were just there when it was required. Perfect storm of needs, sound, culture, it all, there was the just, there's the, there's the gap, yeah. fill it. Oh, yeah. here's, the, here's the empty jigsaw piece, you're the right jigsaw piece, you fit in perfectly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so the album, when it released, it was the fastest selling debut at the time of release. Um, it charted at number one in the UK. It went seven times platinum in the UK, sold over two million copies. In 2006, it was ranked number one in Enemy's greatest albums of all time. So, what's that, 11 years later? They're claiming that. Yeah. So, that's. How do you feel about that? 2006 greatest album of all time, definitely maybe. Uh, no. <laughs> of all time. That's what Enemy ranked it in 2006. In 2006. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I know of a better album. I'm just saying I know that's not the best album. I'm not. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, it does. I'm not saying. Look, they're being too dogmatic. I'm not saying you have to agree with yeah. them, but what you just said does not make sense. They're claiming <laughs> that Oasis has definitely made it is the greatest album of all time. Yeah. I'm saying no, but what I'm not saying is this is what should be the greatest okay. album. All I'm saying is take that off of first place and let's wait for another contender to take first place or what, do you choose wait one for another contender. Or choose one that's already out there but it's not my place to decide what is number one all I'm saying is it's my place to decide what's not number one aren't you a voice of music now Paul I'm a voice of music <laughs> <laughs> why can't you have an opinion on that fine what's your number one what's my number one album of all time yeah what's that in people album <laughs> <laughs> did rather well. Yes, <laughs> it did all right. But most importantly, where are we going to put it in the Remember the First Time charts? So far, the charts look like this. Number one, we have Pulp, His and Hers. Yeah. Number two, we have The Mannix, The Holy Bible. Number three, we have Blur, Park Life. And then... Somewhere not in the chart, just loving it, is our festival. Just loving it's it. Glastonbury 1994. Just like enjoying them. Yeah, enjoying <laughs> life, enjoying the summer, feeding all that music. Where is definitely maybe going. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this from an outside perspective of importance and influence on music culture and the wider music industry at that time. And I'm gonna put it at number one. I'm saying it supersedes pulp, not because I prefer it over pulp. But because I think it had a wider impact, Charlotte. Uh, I'll put it at three, just because. <laughs> so just above Blur's Part Life. Yeah, because I would argue that it's a better album than Blur's Part Life album in its entirety. But I'd agree with that as well. 
I would also argue that Manix and Polk's albums are better. They're a better piece altogether. Interesting. Not a cool difference of opinions like this. Mm. Mark, we don't no, Mark. I would say Mark, we don't share <laughs> my <your> opinion. <laughs> Oh, wait, does that mean... It's going in at number one. It's welcome to Hello Mayway. You have made it to straight in at number one at Remember the First Time Charts. I'm sure Noel Gallagher will be very happy with that. I'm sure right. he'll send us a, uh, some sort of like thank you note later. I'm, I'm sure, sure we will. Yeah. I'm sure we will. Right, coming up next, we've got the social and the emails. Okay, welcome back. You've heard what we think of Definitely Maybe. Now it's time for you guys who've been in touch with us in your droves again to tell us what you think you have been doing over socials and emails. Charlotte, what have you been saying? Okay, so Matthew Jane said from Facebook said, Definitely Maybe has meant so much to me over the years. The first time I heard cigarettes and alcohol was with friends. I didn't care so much for it to begin with. But it was a song I could enjoy when out pretending to be older than I was. The more I heard it, along with the other singles, the more I got into their sound. As the album was released, I got more and more obsessed with Oasis, particularly Liam. I started to follow them wherever they played for quite a few years, which ultimately led me to meet my now wife, so I have a lot to thank them for. I just remember the album as being loud, in your face and full of attitude. I still love to blast it on the car stereo and encourage my son to sing along. Rock and Roll Star is a particular favourite of ours, the ultimate dream of getting away from it and living that lifestyle. When Morning Glory was released the next year, I loved it just as much, and for me, Oasis have never got better than those first two albums. Both will remind me of summer days in a younger life, with not much better to do than hanging out with my friends. It's not bad. Not, not bad at all. Right, yeah. Great reviews, that. You know what, it's something like that always sounds like, well, well stand out me, remind me of summer days. It does to me. Oasis for me reminds me of summer. There we go. Caught a fly. <laughs> uh, Oasis for me always reminds me of summer. It does. Perhaps it's a bomber over there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Perhaps because it's just, yeah, just mm-hmm. having fun, enjoying yourself. Right, what else have you been saying? Okay, on Twitter, at Scott McGaffin called it a phenomenal album, while at Dave10Supernova called it an amazing album from an amazing band. I've had the pleasure of meeting them a couple of times. They're such nice blokes as well. Andy Hunter at Titchley D said, A year later, in 95, when I was eight, I remember my cousin giving me this album, along with What's the Story and NWA Straight Out of Compton on copied tapes. I remember listening to them over and over, and I believe they are what got me into loving music today. I can still listen to all three now and love them the same. I believe them to be timeless classics. I want to see an eight-year-old rapping to NWA. Yeah, so on email, we've had a a message from Phil Baker. Uh, I had definitely maybe on Creation Cassette from late 95, and it was glued to my Panasonic Auto Reverse Walkman. Lovely little bit of uh, specificity there. It was insanely addictive. I first saw Oasis on the White Room, 1995 April, doing Acquiescence, and it's good to be free. It blew my tiny mind. I did get Morning Glory first on cassette, but got definitely maybe a few weeks later and much preferred it. Live forever, especially in Colombia. Damn it, the whole thing. 
completed collecting all the CD albums and singles by Feb 96. Still my best achievement. Fantastic. You'll laugh at that uh, sp- specifically around uh, auto-reverse. One of my favourite bits of technology, Paul. <laughs> and your car got auto-reverse. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Hey, it arcs itself. It well, well it has. that technology was first pioneered in the Panasonic Auto <laughs> Reverse Walkman. <laughs> you laugh, I do genuinely remember the first time I saw it happen on a tape player. Loved it. Do you think of it in a car if it's got auto reverse? It drives at one side until it's hit the top and then it flips around and comes back down the other. Potentially. Like a, like the tapes. Yeah, yeah, I just wonder if like if you ever had a crash in a car, can you just unwind it with a pencil? <laughs> <laughs> We've also got an email from uh, Carly Van Den Broeker. Hope I've mispronounced your name. Hopefully not. Uh, I'm about to turn 26 as I was born on August 29th, 1993. So happy birthday for August 29th. Uh, So this album came out on my first birthday. And every year on my birthday, I get reminded of the album. Every time I hear Definitely Maybe, it's one of the few albums that feels like magic all over again. It's definitely one of my favourite albums of all time. The tracks will never diminish in value to me. I know I will love this album for the rest of my life. There aren't many tracks, let alone albums, that make me feel what these songs do. Uh, And then on Reddit as well, we've got um, a couple of messages from Reddit. Uh, So, from Arger Sterling... Again, hope I've pronounced your username right. I teared up just seeing this question. The question was, what does Oasis definitely maybe mean to you? So hard to put into words. Simply put, the greatest album ever made. Uh, CBM311 said, definitely maybe changed, definitely challenged grunge music and electronic music. I remember defiantly listening to this album while everyone around me said it wasn't a good album. Uh, Costa Corey said it's their favourite album ever. Not to say I don't adore the rest of their stuff, but definitely maybe it had such a distinct sound that separated Oasis from everyone else and set the tone for the rest of their time together. Uh, Mad For It Mate, M8, said, basically one of the albums that means the most to me next to a live 2007 and OK Computer. It's an absolute classic that captures the time perfectly. Uh, and Doctor The Mad Hatter, said, Live Forever and Supersonic are the standout tracks for them. A good album in, ge- uh, in general, but slightly overrated, perhaps. What's the story is the better of the two. It's a shame they never progressed with their sound after that. A band that never fulfilled their potential. So, even the Oasis fans aren't necessarily perfect and that uh, yeah. biased when it comes to their albums. Yeah, it's interesting to say a couple of them there. Yeah. Uh, saying that they didn't progress any further after the second album. Mm. And the very last, can't disagree. And the very last one is from El Hutz, who put, I remember exactly where I was. I mean, photographic recollection when I listened to it for the first time. It's the only album I've ever listened to, and there have been few that I can say about that. Clearly, it did something to my brain that hardwired it in there. I guess you could say it's part of me. So where was it when I listened to it? Pardon? Where was it when I listened to he it? He didn't say. I mean, <laughs> He's got a photographic recollection if he doesn't say where he was. I'm going to say, so he says he has a photographic recollection but doesn't share it. Well. Edam, that's what it is. It's full of holes. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, get in touch. Tell us where you were. L Huts. You're not too busy being a a solicitor in Springfield. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, thank you very much as always. 
for getting in touch with us. If you ever want to share your views with us on the podcast or you want to get involved in upcoming shows, how can they do that, guys? How can they do that? They can email us at doyou at rememberthefirsttime.com. That's doyou at rememberthefirsttime.com. Or they can send us a message, tweet us on at RTF time on the Twitters. Uh, give us a follow as well. Or you can follow us on Instagram as well. Again, the handle for that is at rtftime.com. No, I'm sorry, at rtftime. Yes. It's all right. We've only done five of these. I'll, I'll remember what all the handles easy, are. Easy, easy. You can also get to the website, rememberthefirsttime.com, and there they can sign up to our mailing list now where they will always be the first to hear the next episode when it lands. Okay, right. Coming up next, we have the quiz. Yes! Quiz! <laughs> I am going to soundbite that bugger. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I'm in it. Mm-hmm. Go for it. A format, with A quiz format. What? <laughs> All right. Hey. Standard quiz? Standard quiz. All right. Look, look, look. Let me Classic. Let me I thought the uh, Renegade play cards like last time could have influenced future episodes. No, no, no. No, just say All right. Quiz. It's an Oasis quiz. Questions about Oasis. But, first of all, I need, a, I need to get out and decide... Who, well, in fact, no, not who goes first. We've got a tiebreaker. So, first of all, there's ten questions. Oh, ten. Ten, ten of these questions are questions. It's an Oasis quiz. Quiz about Oasis. Ah, oh, that's right, not Oasis. Oasis. What's an Oasis, I hear you ask? No, that's fine. I have no what fucking idea what's going on. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> what is an Oasis? An oasis, I think you'll find, is a fertile... Let me finish! I'm the quiz master here. Oasis is a fertile spot of desert where water is found. So we're going to find out what your knowledge of oases are. Right. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Ten oases. You just tell me what country they're in. What? Ten oases? (laughs) So there's ten oasises. Right. Oases. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the name of them. You just tell me what country these oases are found in. So the fucking quiz is on oasis. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. I am clutching at various straws (laughs) tightly. Wow. Are we ready? Is one of them going to be the band? Uh, Are we ready? No. I'm going to tell you Uh, right now. England. None of these questions (laughs) relate to the band. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I might actually have a chance then. Yeah. One second. (laughs) That's right down. Yeah, me cracking my knuckles. Okay, number ten, Ziz Oasis in the Sahara Desert. But what country is that in? The Ziz Oasis in the Sahara Desert. No googling, Mark. I'm not googling it. I'm looking at absolutely dumb out because I'm shit at geography. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Charlotte strikes back. I have no clue. I don't know. Okay, okay let me write your country down then. Okay. Um, so basically, you're just asking us what country the Sahara Desert is in. Well, which country is the Ziz Oasis, which is part of the Sahara Desert? (laughs) Okay. Are we ready to move on? Yeah. (laughs) Number nine. Why are you doing a proper salon, by the way? I don't know, why not? Huachachina. Huachachina. Number eight. Um Almar. 
Um Almar. Number seven, Timia Oasis. The Timia, that's T-I-M-I-A, Timia. Mark's disappointed because this has nothing to do with music. I think this is brilliant. I'm just disappointed because I don't have a chance. What side? Wait, can you spell that song? Yeah, T-I-M-I-A. Got on. Okay. Number six, that's Crescent Five. No, that was number seven. Oh, sorry, I forgot we're going backwards. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell, I remember the man wanting. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just it's remember there's an other way Number six, or number five in Mark's case, <laughs> Crescent Lake in the Gobi Desert. Crescent Lake in the Gobi Desert. I mean, you're presuming I know where the Gobi Desert is. It's yeah, fine. I'm <laughs> I look, look. I'm not kidding. Geography is my worst. A lot of these I have to Google. I won't lie. I have to Google more. To get a list of them. I need to tell you something very funny about my lack of knowledge of geography after we start recording. <laughs> <laughs> Next, the Liwa Oasis. The Liwa, that's L I W A. Next, Oasis N Gedi. How are we going to make this interesting for the listener? They can answer too. We'll put some Oasis as a bed. You bloody will. <laughs> Turn it up loud in your voice. Oh, <laughs> you're such a bad player when you don't know the answers, aren't you? I thought that I thought it'd be on definitely maybe quiz. Moving on. Uh, sorry, what was the name of the last one? I've forgotten. Oasis N Eddy. And Geddy, sorry. Yeah. Next. Yeah. I will accept one of. I will accept two answers on this because it kind of straddles. The Sonoran Desert Oasis. That's a Sonoran Desert Oasis. I'm running out of names of hot countries that I know the name of. <laughs> <laughs> that could have deserts yeah. in them. <laughs> Just you know, uh, Don't forget about those countries that have a varied climate. That's all I would say. Okay, come on. Okay, next. Oasis on a ranch in Red Rock Canyon. Oasis on a Ranch in Red Rock Canyon. There's probably a few people that have heard, have heard of Red Rock Canyon. I won't say you two have, but at least I might some people getting 1 out of 10 here. Hopefully there'll be a few. If you get more than 1 out of 10, email us and prove it. Yeah, email us and prove it. Yeah, prove it yeah, write it down with a newspaper and it dates it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but how can they, with a podcast, they could listen to it on any day at any time. Well. I mean, if they've got photographs. First person to email us with any score over five. I'll be impressed. <laughs> okay, and the last one, Al Asa Oasis. That's Al Asa, A H S A. Al Asa Oasis. Okay, one of these I'm not sure if I've written is a country, so I might have put a country down twice. Okay, that's fine. There are some places where maybe it is twice. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so we've got 10 oases. Number 10, Ziz Oasis in the Sahara Desert. What country, Charlotte? Morocco. Mark? Egypt. Charlotte's got a point. Oh my god! Mark for another one. Are you <laughs> Good joking? Work, I'm not Amazing. joking, Charlotte. Ziz Oasis in the Sahara Desert is in Morocco. Get in. So, no complaints <laughs> so far, is there? <laughs> uh, Huacha China or Huacha China is in what country, Mark? Peru. Charlotte? I put India, but now I'm thinking it's like China or something. It's Peru. Oh! <laughs> one all. I thought it was. Give a leave out of the two. We've <laughs> got one here. Well. 
How the now we're getting down to business. <laughs> I like this quiz. <laughs> now we've changed. Not that we? Next, Um Almar. This is a toughie, Charlotte. Cambodia. Oh, United Arab Emirates. Sorry, guys. It's Libya. Mm. Next up, God, was not a time. Next up <laughs> is the Timia Oasis. Charlotte. Democratic Republic of Congo. Huh? Mongolia. Niger. Oh. Sorry, that well-known oasis hotspot. Niger. Crescent Lake in the Gobi Desert. Desert. Come on, Crescent Le- Crescent Lake in the Go- Do- in the Gobi Desert. Mark. Somalia. Kazakhstan. <laughs> China. The Gobi Desert straddles China and Mongolia. How would I know that? Hey, hey. I'm not <laughs> flipping what Mongolia. Yeah. No, you didn't. So I'm not far off. That was my end. Oh, that was my answer to the last question. Yeah. <laughs> so you very much did not put I did Mongolia. Know, you right. put Somalia. All right. I did put Somalia. Yeah, it's right. Hey, hey. Don't try and cheat the ref. <laughs> Go on. The Liwa Oasis. The Liwa Oasis, Mark? It's sharp, yeah. Oh, sorry, Charlotte. Mexico? Mark. France. France! <laughs> <laughs> I was getting bored by this point. <laughs> You zoned out before you got your point, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. That's the UAE. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, sorry. Some of these, I've just had a look to the wrong number. Yeah. I'm the UAE in Mon- Morocco. Oasis Ein Gedi. Mark? Uh, what kind of France? Uh, China. Charlotte? Pakistan. Israel. Oh, Israel. Sonoran Desert Oasis. This is the one where I said I'd accept two places, two countries. Mark? Zimbabwe. Zambia. Oh, interesting that we've got Z. No, it's USA or Mexico. Uh, yeah. Oasis on a ranch at Red Rock Canyon, Charlotte. Well, I put Utah, which is I know it's not a country, but still, I would be specific. <laughs> so America. <laughs> <That's not really laughs> I'll accept USA yeah. as an answer. Mark. Canada. I blame Canada. It's USA. Oh. <laughs> I was going to put America. Yeah. I was like, America or Canada? Mm. Al Asa Oasis. Mark. Morocco. Afghanistan. Saudi Arabia. So two to one. Shola's won this. I'm just yes. glad I the tiebreaker. Well done. Well done. Do you want the tiebreaker? No. Are you sure it's not yeah. about Oasis? It's actually about the. Right, band. coming up next. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, please, Paul. Charlotte has won. That puts us at. Oh, what does that put us at? Three to me, two to Charlotte, zero to you. I thought it'd put us three, three to Charlotte, two to you, zero to me. Hang on. Hang on a minute. Who did the quiz last time? Oh, I did the quiz last time. It is. Three Charlottes. I apologise, Charlotte. (laughs) Charlotte's winning three. Anyway, coming up next, we have the Remember the First Time playlist, you lucky people. Yeah, so we need to decide first of all what track off of definitely maybe are we adding to the playlist this month? Uh, for well, me, what track do you want? Yeah. For me, we are going to have to say either Cigarettes and Alcohol or Live Forever. Cigarettes and Alcohol. Charlotte. 
I agree. Cigarettes and alcohol. I'm going to say the same. Cigarettes and alcohol. It's on the playlist. Great. Welcome, <laughs> cigarettes and alcohol. Great. <laughs> yeah, cigarettes and alcohol will be getting added to the playlist. But alongside that, a track from each of you and myself that we've been listening to. So, Charlotte, what track are you choosing? What have you been listening to? I'm going to choose the new track from Falls called Black Bull. Ooh, it's a bit of a beast, that, isn't it? It is very, very I'm good. I'm a fan. I'm mm. a fan. Mark. Oh, oh yeah, you, 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 you. I am going for a track off the fantastic new Ride album. Mm. I forgot what the Ride album is called. As I said that, it went from my mind. <laughs> Obviously featuring Andy Bell. Ride away. Yet to be an oasis. But he did make an appearance later on, as we all know. Yeah, I'm going for Clouds of St. Marie by Ride. Ooh, great track. Nice. Not the, not the first single. Um, okay, I have had a bit of a toss-up. I, didn't, I weren't sure what to choose. Um, Ty Siegel, uh, and the track's called Radio. Uh, it's got a bit of a kind of psychedelic feel to it. Um, a lot of sitar on it. I love a bit of sitar on the track. I thought it, it linked in nicely with the influence of the Beatles on the on Oasis. So yeah, Ty Siegel, Radio. So there we go. Fantastic. And how can people access the playlist for? Uh, they can search for Remember the First Time Podcast Playlist on Spotify, where they're there, where they can uh, follow us if they'd like to. If you like what you listen to, great. Subscribe. Follow us. Fantastic. Okay, so that pretty much leaves us at the end of the episode. Next up, September, we will be releasing episode six of Remember the First Time. And next time, we are... Going on to a little bit of trip hop, Bristolian's Massive Attack and their album Protection that was released on the 26th of September 1994. Very much looking forward to recording that. So keep your eyes and ears open for it. Remember, go to rememberthefirsttime.com, subscribe to our mailing list, and you will be first to hear about every single episode of the podcast. I think that's it. Any more for any more, Charlotte? Nothing from me. Paul? I thought that quiz went really well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ending note. Noel Gallagher from Oasis says, It seems to me he was a guy, talking about Kurt Cobain, who had everything and was miserable about it. And we had fuck all, and I still thought that getting up in the morning was the greatest fucking thing ever. I think that is true. On definitely maybe. Thank you very much, Oasis. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you very much, Charlotte. Thanks, Happy Mark. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mark. You've been listening to Remember the First Time. We'll see you next time. There's no need for you to say you're sorry. Goodbye, I'm going home. I don't care no more, so don't you 